They are going for it on fourth and three. A little sprint left and then the throw down the field. He's got his man open. Caught for a touchdown. What a nice play design. The redshirt freshman Keanu Hill with the touchdown catch. BYU gets lined up as fast as they can. Four, Wilson going deep. Wilson toward the end zone and it is caught. Milne, touchdown. Take a bow. Oh my goodness. There's some highlights from BYU's win over Texas State. Our question of the morning, what was your favorite part of this great sports weekend? Outstanding World Series Game 4, overtime Sunday night football, a bunch of good college and pro football games on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Brooks says the highlight was the Cougs. They did what they do. Donald says the highlight was BYU. And Dave says more specifically, that throw from Zach to Dax. I didn't think that was that big of a deal. I know people were making a big deal about it, but that's because I've expected that out of Zach Wilson, and I have a high level of confidence. So yeah, it was a great throw, but it's not like it didn't really wow me because I expect him to do that. I believe he has that capability. I've been on this bandwagon now for a good long while. I started to doubt myself a little bit last year with the injuries, and I didn't think he progressed the way I thought he should be because I believe his skill level is very, very high. And I have been in his corner for a good long while now because people have told me to be in his corner. And that was a nice throw, but I thought that, well, that's what I expect. You know what I thought about the BYU game, the number one thing that really got me excited? No. Right. <laughs> I have no idea. What? I know. What, what, I'm, I'm surprised anything really got you excited because we were talking about last Thursday and Friday, they're going to win this game in a walk, and they won it in a walk. So what got you excited? Well, I, I'll throw it out there. People, what got me excited, the most excited about that game, if you guess right, you can get a personal tour of David James's home. Oh, stop it. <laughs> well, what can we give away? Uh, an 8x10 glossy? Signed? I think we give away the same thing we always give away. One ticket to see a bees game by yourself on the berm in 2023. Well, can you guarantee me we're going to have Bees baseball in 2023? Yes, I can. Who would have thought that we would have had, wouldn't have had it this year? I never would have thought that in a million years. Not me, but I put it out there. That's why we went 2023. And I it put it out in no-doubt no, no. territory. How about just... You can come up by the statues, and DJ will come up to the window because we're on the fifth floor, you are, and you can wave to them. That's it. You can Saturday night, <laughs> Saturday night while I'm doing talking sports, you can go over to the window at Channel 2 on Main Street and take a photo and I'll wave. <laughs> Which I pretty much have to do every Saturday night anyway. So Maybe come on down, people. Point to them? <laughs> yeah, I point. Well, if you have time, if it's early in the commercial break, uh, you can't do it right at the end of the break, but if it's early in the commercial break, you can wave people over to the window, and then you smile there, and you, and you wave basically like a poster yourself, and people turn around like they're taking a selfie with you. That, I can guarantee you, has happened several, several uh, we'll hundred thousand times. we'll add in a little, a little caveat. You will do it without a shirt on. Again. Come on. Still. you got to give them something. Because I don't think anybody's going to guess what made me the most excited about that BYU football game Saturday night. It was Cosmo doing a flip off that uh, mound of uh, cushions or whatever he was on onto the mat while the uh, golf cart bowled the whole thing over. You really thought that that was big, that big of a deal? I didn't think that was that big. No. I mean, that's what, those, that's what mascots do. 
It was because Texas State scored in the first half. First drive. First but at drive. any point in the first 30 minutes, he would have been amazed. Uh, I suppose, but I hadn't really thought of that. Kalani had new dance steps. No. See? It's it's unguessable. Well, it's uncorrectable guessable. Yak, throw something out there. What do you got, Yak? Come on. You know PK. What would have amazed him about that game? They ran a fake punt and pissed off uh, Rod Gilmore. <laughs> No. I thought what he said on the sideline when they were talking about it, he's like, don't go stand by the coach, go stand by your buddies. Like, you're a BYU punter, you never get to punt, you saw daylight, you ran to it. It was a called play, come on, let's go with it. Is that, I mean, whoop de do. they faked the punt, they ran and they were up big, uh, so what? No, I'm not, not, I wasn't amazed by anything that happened, I'm saying what I was most pleased by. Ah... I mean, there was nothing in that game that was amazing. Better offensive I mean, line play? You don't really see games, every game, is there something that's amazing. Right? I mean, watch Ohio State destroy Nebraska. <laughs> we it wasn't, knew that was it coming. There was, was nothing not in that game that was amazing. Justin Fields is really good. Well, Zach, you know I mean? threw, so, yeah, Zach threw six incomplete passes. That would normally be amazing, but given his stats this year, it's not amazing. <laughs> Something you uh, let's see what would it? I was been? most pleased by in that game improved offensive line. You were play. most you were most pleased with the fact that they got to play all the second stringers so early. Well, I was anticipated as if it were this week too. In fact, actually, I would be disappointed if that weren't the case. You were impressed that Isaiah Kafusi called his shot on the interception return. He's a Kawafusi. Huh? He's a Brighton Bengal. Those Bryce, people are some of the best people in the world. Bryce says PK is definitely talking about the fake punt. No. Now, as you said on TV last night, you didn't even know it happened because you'd already flipped over to baseball because the game was over and the baseball game was uh, crazy good. Correct. I mean, they, they need to emphasize game. that that was a really good game before the crazy ninth inning. I mean, the way the lead was going back and forth, right? There were a lot of clutch at bats and clutch outs in that game. Oh, yeah, if you're just a fan of the sport and don't have a rooting interest, literally, like I, I'm rooting for the Dodgers. I've been a Dodger fan for a long time. Not in the, I don't, My fandom isn't dependent on winning or losing. It's in terms of teams that I follow. That's how I depend. That's how I define my fandom. I realize others define it by the outcome. But for me, uh, I don't define it by the outcome. I define Josh, it by how much I pay attention to them. Josh is thinking like a media member. PK was most pleased that the game was over close to on time. Well, I mean, there's no time limit. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You want three hours instead of four when it's an 8-15 game. Game was over by 10 (laughs) o'clock. It was. (laughs) So, I mean, no matter what the scoreboard says on the zero time clock. You weren't at the game writing on deadline, waiting to drive home after all the post like a normal deal. You were at home. It's 2020. Well, it's a different deal for media members. Yeah, it's just like uh, last year with the Utes. Those games were over way before the clock read zeros. So, and, and actually, for a media member on those late games, that's ideal. You have a blowout, then you got everything set, 
and then you'd send it over to whoever your editor is. In my case, last year it's Yach. He puts in the final score. The thing is posted within seconds of the outcome because the game has long since been decided. In Utah, it seemed like every game last year, except the SC game, it was decided uh, middle of third quarter. You knew it was the way it was going to go. Obviously, for BYU, it was earlier. For Boise State, it was earlier. So you have that. Not that the Boise State game was that late anyway. It started at 5 o'clock. But, no, I was most pleased by something we haven't seen this year. Absolutely. All right, what was it? Oh, man, so soon? Yeah, we got Kyle coming up at 8.30. (laughs) I was most pleased by the fact that they had 6,000 folks in the stands. You got us. We haven't seen it. I, I, I had forgotten about that. That's a good point, though. Even though it's not even close to what it normally would be, it still was something. It was an an inch towards normality. And I'm not saying let's throw the caution to the wind as far as the health issues. I'm not saying that at all. By any stretch, I'm not saying that. Uh, adhere to everything you're supposed to adhere to. we got to memo ourselves to adhere to it and adhere to it. It's serious. I'm not denying the serious nature of it whatsoever. But I do like the fact that there were some fans in the stands. And you got to see. I mean, they showed uh, Mill, uh, you know, that little story with his mother with the cancer and all that stuff. They touched on that. And then you see them on their phones, and then the announcers were making fun where they're probably getting texted, you're on TV, you're on TV. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if they were, but that's the first thing. I mean, Gilmore was talking about that's the first thing I thought to myself, oh, yeah, they're probably getting texted. Uh, Mrs. Mill, you're on TV, you're on TV, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's cool, they don't, I, I don't know what they do for a living, but I'm assuming they don't get on television a lot, and their son has been a success story this season, it's a great story, you play it up, we like that, that's why I like to watch game day, my game day thing every Saturday is I have to figure out, okay, how are they going to work death into the, into the game day and make it so dramatic? And uh, and have the hushed tones and all that stuff. I mean, they love that stuff. They prey on our emotions. And so I find it uh, somewhat, uh, I don't want to say enjoyable, but I'm always wondering. It's like, okay, when are you going to tell me Zach Wilson drove down to see John Beck? In game day, when are you going to play the death story? I know it's coming. I don't know in what form it's coming, but I know it's coming. And so here with the, with the mom having cancer, which is a very serious situation, obviously, and they played that, so I don't downgrade the serious nature of the the virus by any stretch. But I do appreciate that they had fans in there. I appreciate it for the fellows who are out on the field, and I appreciate it for the families who want to see their sons play. Of course they do, and get some students in there. And it was great, it was absolutely great. And we haven't seen it, right? They hadn't played in any of their prior games. No. Nope. Well, Houston, Houston had fans. So Houston Oh, but home games though. So. They were talking home games. Home yes, games. Houston. Yeah, did. I was talking I was talking across the board. No, Houston was Houston. the first time they had fans because the players were talking about it because it's BYU, so wherever they go, they're going to I mean they, they went to Middle Tennessee State and they had 5,000 fans. So they they can go anywhere. And and I know from when we went with the NCAA tournament when they went to Louisville, um, a guy who works in the media here in town, who worked in town before, you know, 20 years ago, left, uh, he's in TV and internet stuff, and he left and went to a job in, uh, in Nashville. And he was at a station in Nashville for, I don't know, seven, eight years, something like that. And he drove, he and his family, uh, his wife, and I think four kids, I think, they drove and uh, found me in the uh, satellite truck parking area at the NCAA tournament there. And he's like, six hours to see the Cougars? Easy. 
<laughs> okay. So they're going to get that. They're, people are going to drive six hours. They're going to drive a day wherever, wherever the Cougars are in the country. If they're in a part of the country they haven't been in very often, it's going to happen. They're going to have fans. Well, it, or if they're in a part of the country they've been every year, they're going right, to have yeah. fans. If you're out in the West, obviously, yes. <laughs> Yeah. So it doesn't matter. They're Draw always, a two-hour yeah, circle I saw, I saw on Twitter a University of Utah professor. Uh, the numbers that caught my attention, Utah's had nearly 10,000 new COVID cases in the last week, nearly 2,000 cases reported today. Meanwhile, 6,000 fans will be at Edwards Stadium tomorrow cheering for BYU. Is this wise, or do we believe it can happen to us? A U of U professor putting that out on Twitter. And then I, look, I go on his Twitter, and... First thing I see, 47 minutes ago today, the first thing he puts on Twitter, the, 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 diston- the dishonesty of the Trump campaign is stunning, blah, 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 blah. And your guy is just gospel 100% truth. There's Jesus and then there's Joe. I mean, there's very little separation between the two. There we go with the politics. And he's a professor in the Department of Political Science. Was it safe to have 2,000 fans in there? I think having been to some sports events where they're fans, I think if you're masked up and you're socially distanced, you're pretty safe. I wouldn't be eating, drinking, going to the bathroom. I'd just go. I'd watch the game, and then I'd get out of there. So, I mean, obviously you could go and do stuff that isn't safe, and I can't tell you what all 6,000 people did down there, nor can anyone else. But uh, having seen the RSL games where they have a 20,000-seat stadium, and I don't know, it's hard to estimate, but it looks like three or 4,000 people in there maybe. Um, I think they're allowed to have – well, at one point they were allowed to have more. I don't know what they're allowed to have now. But it doesn't look like they're people near each other. If you're outdoors, you're masked up, and you're socially distanced, I think you're pretty safe. Now, if you take your mask off and you go into the bathroom, now you're indoors and all bets are off. And if your mask is – you know, who knows? So – but I, would, I wouldn't – I'd just be going to the game for the game. I wouldn't be going for any of the other stuff, so – All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach, his media availability. Gary Anderson is going to join us at 930. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Eric Weddle right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. What do you think of their decision to bench Fitzpatrick and put Tua in there as the starter? I mean, that is a sad reality of our business and the emotional side of the game. Uh, it is a job, and when you give it your all, and then you got fired, and then having to muster up enough energy and to pressure emotions to go sit in a team meeting and then go sit in your quarterback's room, an offensive team meeting, and you're the guy that got fired. You're the guy that got demoted. It's not an easy thing to deal with by any means. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru. Kyle Winningham is about to speak. His uh, media availability here. We're going to air that for you. Gary Anderson, Utah State football coach, is going to be here at 9.30. We'll talk to him about Boise State and look ahead to the home opener with San Diego State. Uh, we got some NFL news out. Josina Anderson, ESPN, reporting Odell Beckham Jr. says he has suffered a torn ACL against the Bengals. He was hurt on the second play of the game, an interception, and he was uh, trying to Chased down the, the the defensive back. I forget who had the pick, and uh, 
and then crashed into a pile of human beings. And it was pretty clear uh, immediately that he was hurt there on the ground. And so self-diagnosis there. I don't know if he's had the MRI, but an ACL. Yeah, it does. That'll finish him for the year, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there's some other injuries out there we're waiting to hear on as well. It's a typical Monday in the NFL season. The Niners down to there. Was that their third string running back, Wilson? Third, fourth, fifth, somewhere in that range. Yeah. He, had Sixth. A, he had a huge day. Thanks, BK. Jeff Wilson Jr. Three three touchdowns, 100 yards rushing, 112 or 17, whatever it was. And uh, he got hurt. I, when he went down, I thought he grabbed his knee, but then they were saying it was an ankle. It's the fourth high ankle sprain in the last like three weeks for the oh, Niners. Oh, fetching the PK's high ankle favorite sprain. injury. <laughs> I never ever hear high ankle sprain without hearing you complain about it, PK. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, you can continue to hit us up on Twitter. What was your favorite part of the sporting weekend? And Tom just tweeted at us Steelers, last undefeated team in the NFL. Good game. I watched a good portion of it. Didn't start out like a good game. They were up 14 nothing in a heartbeat. It was 24-7 at the half. But you got to give it to the Titans. Those last 20 minutes, uh, they were doing everything right. They were getting stops, getting the ball back, going down and scoring. Hit on one big play. It seemed like it... Uh, I know some people say, momentum isn't real, you know, but it, it sure seemed like that one play changed the flow of the game. Steelers were rolling. They threw a little... I don't know, slant route or crossing route or something. And it was one of those deals where you, you throw it seven yards and they go 70. All right, let's go to uh, Kyle Whittingham now. He's sitting down getting ready for his media availability. To indicate you'd like to ask a question, and we'll follow with the Q&A portion. So thanks a lot, Coach. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, still in the process of evaluating Saturday scrimmage. We're, we're mostly finished, but uh, still got some things to, to uh, clean up and, and uh, evaluate. But uh, overall, uh, very similar to what uh, we thought after the scrimmage. A lot of good work, a lot of progress. Uh, sometimes it's hard. Well, not sometimes. It's always hard to tell exactly where you are when you're working against yourself and uh, don't have any opponent to, to gauge uh, you know, where you're at. And, you know, if you're playing well on O, you don't know if it's because you're a good offense or if you're not very good on defense. And so it's uh, we're in that mode right now as far as trying to figure out exactly where we're at, but uh, a lot of positive things going on. Offensively, quarterback uh, competition's coming to a head, and we think that uh, we're about ready to uh, make that decision and and get a uh, one, two, and three in place. We already got a three in place, get the one and two sorted out. Running backs continue to make progress. Offensive line continues to be one of the strengths of of our team, as is uh, tight ends and wide receivers. Defense continues to be a work in progress. A lot of work to be done there, and we don't have a lot of time to uh, to work with. You know, we only got a, what 13, 12 days before we play, and so so uh, we got to work it out for us, and uh, we'll see where we're at you know, come come November seventh. But uh, you know, so far, we've been pleased with the players' efforts, uh, their focus, their concentration, work habits. So there's nothing lacking there. It's just a matter of getting, uh, particularly on defense, getting everything up to speed. So questions? First question will come from Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Trevor Allen of KSL Sports. Hey, good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Um, You mentioned that time is getting short, 12 days until the opener. How do you kind of manage things in terms of getting all your work in, but maybe not going too far, maybe not doing too much live stuff, live tackling to keep the guys fresh and ready? 
yeah, it's a balancing act, and you've got to continue to uh, be physical in practice, uh, even though it's not live, and there's not going to be very, very much live stuff going forward. You can still be physical, uh, staying on your feet, and not tackling to the ground. So there's a lot you can you can accomplish. But uh, we've had a lot of live reps to this point. We chart all the live reps, and we've had players that are uh, approaching 200 live reps for fall camp, and and a lot of guys in the 150 range, and which equates to two and a half games, roughly two, two and a half games. And so, so we feel like we've uh, done about as much as we can getting them ready in that respect with, with the live work. And we'll just continue to uh, work what we call thud tempo, which is essentially live at the line of scrimmage, but nobody gets tackled, like I mentioned. So we're, and you've got to uh, make sure you, you don't overdo that either because you don't want to go into the game beat up and so we, we don't feel like that right now we're, we're uh, beat up as a football team we feel pretty good about where we're at the guys have responded but uh, we got to make sure they're fresh on November 7th Kyle just a quick follow-up when you say that the QB competition is coming to a head do you expect to go into practice this afternoon with your number one guy in place well we don't practice today and so that's, that's uh, yeah we're, we're, we're in the uh, in the meeting room and in the weight room but tomorrow when we do get back on the field we anticipate that being the case now again we haven't sat down as a staff with everyone having watched the film and evaluated and had that discussion but that's coming up here in the next couple hours next we'll go to trevor allen of ksl sports followed by chris Comrani of the athletic Kyle, I know that you're you're worried about all, all these battles and try, trying to wrap up camp, but when do you start prepping for, for your guys' uh, season opener? We've already begun that to a certain extent. It's been uh, interspersed in practice throughout the last oh, seven, to, seven to eight practices. We've broken into scout teams, and so we have periods where we work on specifically Arizona uh, offense or defense, as the case may be. And so that will become even more of an emphasis starting tomorrow. And it will become exclusive probably about Thursday or Friday this week where we just focus completely on the opponent and no longer uh, compete against each other. Next, we'll go to Chris Comrani, followed by Patrick Kinahan, 97.5-1280 The Zone. Kyle, a key tenant of Utah's recruiting process is getting in on the ground level and being among the first offers, if not the first offer for a lot of kids. And, you know, just off the top of my head, a guy like Nate Ritchie and Clark Phillips are, are part of that, you know, kind of group of players that you guys were involved in early on. Is that something that you um, instilled in your in your staff early on to say, you know, if, if there is a player that you think has what it takes fire away because as freddie said earlier he knows that there's kind of an emotional attachment that's kind of bonded when you get you know on in on the ground level and, and offer kids early on yeah the short answer is yes we we uh, have a philosophy if uh, our guys they always have the green light all our assistants we feel um confident enough in those guys i do i feel confident enough in those guys that they their evaluations are usually spot on. You're not always right in recruiting, and that nobody is. You're going to make mistakes here and there, but but they have the latitude to go ahead and make those offers. And and uh, oftentimes you're exactly right. Freddie's right that that uh, there is a certain uh, fondness in those guys that they always remember their first. And uh, I think that's helped us out in a lot of cases. And so that's been a, an mo of ours for for a lot of years, and we're going to continue to do that. 
Next, we'll go to PK, followed by Bill Riley, ESPN 700. You guys prepare for everything possible in terms of being uh, ready for games. This year, you're not going to have any fans or very limited fans. Is there anything you can do to prepare for that? Well, we've already begun practicing with the uh, ambient noise, ambient noise, I guess they call it, the uh, the crowd level and you know the decibel level that it's supposed to be at. And, and so we've already had that uh, going on at both the scrimmages. They've they've had the ambient noise, and I think it's 70 decibels for uh, just normal uh, times, and you can raise it to 90 if something exciting happens. And so, so yeah, the answer is yes. We we practice with that now. It's going to be different, no matter how you cut it, with nobody in the stands or very few people in the stands. So it'll be a different deal. But but players seem to get. Uh, on autopilot and in a groove you're on the field and you're playing and you don't really notice very often the uh the surroundings and you know once in a while our, our stadium is awesome we have we feel we have some of the best fans in the country and certainly some of the loudest and so that does give your give your players a boost emotionally particularly on big downs and and when uh you know things are going going on that are exciting but but uh you know players for the most part are, are locked in and in, in a zone and oblivious to uh, what's going on around. And then do you remember your first, Kyle? <laughs> There's a lot of firsts I had. Uh, <laughs> I'll pass on that, PK. <laughs> Next, we'll go to Bill Riley, followed by Josh Furlong, KSL. Lots of talk about quarterbacks, but what about your secondary? Do you feel like you have your best three guys at corner yet, Kyle? Not quite yet. We're, we're, we're close. And... Uh, one day you think you have them and the next day things change and so so we don't have that solidified and that to me as the head coach that's probably my biggest concern right now is is the secondary and and uh, making sure we get that right and and you know we may come away with four corners that we really like and and uh, rotate them through there and you know have four guys to play three spots and and that could happen it could happen at safety but but uh right now still not solidified in the secondary Although we have narrowed the field down, but uh, that's going to be crucial. I mean, if you get if you're if you can't hang, uh, hold up in the secondary, things can get away from you real quick. And and we're hoping the front can uh, compensate for some of the inexperience in the secondary. But but uh, some days the front hasn't looked as good as we'd like it to either. And so, uh, like I said at the outset of this uh, press conference here, this Zoom meeting, whatever we got going on. It's uh, a lot, a lot of work to be done on defense, and that's the most concerning thing for uh, for us as coaches is, is the defensive side of the ball right now. Does that include your safety spots too, not just corners? Or are you no, the safeties? The safeties are more defined and, and more clear than the corner spot right now, but they're still not uh, completely set. Okay. Okay. Next, we'll go to Josh Furlong. Kyle, obviously in college football or even the NFL, there's different shifts that go on with the offenses, whether that be the spread or, or whatever else there may be. Are you seeing a, a shift recently in, in terms of, of how tight ends are being utilized in the packages that are presented using them? And, and, and in your eyes, what does, what, what does that provide to an offense that, that maybe is why people are using it more? Yeah, I personally believe that's the case, that the tight end is becoming more in vogue and and uh, for a while there, they, they they didn't disappear, but they were nowhere near as prevalent when people were going a lot of four wides. But now the personnel groups have changed a little bit. And you're seeing a lot of tight end sets, uh, both in the 
professional level and the collegiate level, we certainly have got a lot of mileage out of our tight ends. And, and what tight ends do is they present matchup problems uh, in the throw game. The tight ends uh, typically are uh, it's tough to cover with a linebacker and you have to use a safety. And, and even sometimes that's a bad matchup with the size advantage that the tight end has. And then you've got things in the run game. You've got so much more options, so many more options in the run game when you have a tight end on the field than, than when you're playing in 10 personnel, which is uh, four wides, one back, and no tight ends. And so I've always been a believer in the tight end position and the, and the value of it. Uh, I know Andy feels the same way. We've got a good stable of tight ends, so you're going to see us uh, maximize that. And, and uh, yeah, to answer your question, I think it's cycling back to where the tight end is becoming more more of a uh, factor in, in most people's schemes. Okay, if there are no other questions, that'll wrap up today's media availability. Thank All right, there is Kyle Whittingham painting kind of a bleak picture there in the secondary, PK. <laughs> You think? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. And you never know because we don't get to see practice, right? And we don't get to see the scrimmages. So is is it really that bad? Is he motivating guys? Or, you know, this is going to be a different year. And they're going to have to win games, uh, you know, 41-38 or 37-34 or something like that. Well, some of it depends on the opposition, you know, just because your defense may, and it's obviously it's at the start anyway, it's probably not going to be as good as it was last year because you sent two-thirds of the team to the NFL. That's a no-brainer. But just because your defense isn't on par to what it was last year doesn't mean that the opponent's offense is capable of putting up 40 points. you got to have that too, right? Just because you're not as good doesn't mean automatically that the other team's offense is going to look great. That's not necessarily the case. Well, yes, that's true. But the thing, and this is just me defaulting to this, I don't, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but the problem with the secondary is when they make mistakes, they can give up big plays really fast. You know, presumably, you know, you take a bad angle, you blow a coverage, uh, you miss a tackle, and a guy just runs for a touchdown. So you don't have to have a great offense. If you're a secondary, and even if you're not great, if you keep the game in front of you, and Kyle's not really going into what the problems are. If you keep the game in front of you, even if the pass is complete and you make the tackle and it's 8 or 10 yards, you're still going to make them go on an 8, 10, 12 play drive, which gives them a chance, if they're not a good offense, to screw it up. But if your secondary is bad and you're giving up 30, 50, 70-yard plays, then even bad offenses can get down the field and score in a hurry. And so that's the concern, I think, with the, with the secondary. And again, we don't know how much he's overselling this. We don't know if he really feels good about three or four guys and they can bring one guy along. And maybe, you know, they can hide some of their problems by playing a little more zone, keeping the game in front of them. You know, the, the start of the schedule doesn't look that difficult. Now, it's also, it's also only a six-game schedule, so there isn't that all that much to it. But the first two games certainly look easier than the next two games. And how much can they tighten up the act, 12 days to the opener, and then with two games? Well, yeah, but it, it, I'm not as concerned about the secondary as I am more so where it starts. And it starts with Tafua and Pututau and Mawala and Tupai, those guys. Yeah, when the front doesn't look as good, that was a little 
Front doesn't okay, so he's talking about the whole defense. That, that, to me, that was the most important thing that he said right there. Was not, it's not the secondary; it's the front. Because if the front isn't doing its thing, then I don't. You can have five all pros back there, and if the quarterback's getting seven seconds to throw, you can't he's cover find that somebody. Right? You can't cover that long. So what are those guys doing up front? And he, and so that's where I think that where Utah which they have done year after year. It's really amazing when you think about it, how they excel. Last year, three of their four guys get drafted. It's only because the fourth guy didn't make himself draft eligible. <laughs> and they're, they're literally in the NFL today. <clears throat> that, I mean, that's, that's as big time as big time can get when you got three seniors up front and all three of them get drafted and then make NFL rosters. So he's already spoken about Mwala being a stud up front. Uh, we saw Tafua make plays last year. Uh, Tupai is a local kid, is a kid on the come. So I'm expecting that that's where it begins with this defense. And so that takes the pressure off these dudes in the backs, uh, back end of it. And really, I've seen guys come along that maybe are a little bit unheralded and they end up being really good. Uh, what, what was the kids last year? So now his name is escaping me. Who uh, end up being a draft pick of the Rams last year in the deep? Oh, Burgess. Terrell Burgess. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, well, nobody was really talking about him. Uh, la- well, I mean, two years ago, say. I mean, we knew he was going to play last year. Uh, so until I see otherwise, I'm just going to expect that they're good there. Well, maybe the offense is that good because he said uh, after the scrimmage. Oh, the one thing he said after the scrimmage on Saturday that stood out was that uh, because actions speak louder than words, right? And coaches can spin stuff and tell you part of what they're thinking, but not the other part of what they're thinking. But they held Devin Lloyd out. So we're sitting here talking about the D-line and the secondary. What do you think of the linebackers? They held Devin Lloyd out, and Kyle's comment on that was, we know who he is, we know what he can do, he's proven Basically, there's no chance we're letting that guy get hurt in this scrimmage. This is not well, happening. Yeah, I mean, he's a proven commodity. He's our guy. He played and, all last and year. Played the year before. Yeah, we're set. We're set there. Um, but his comment on the quarterbacks when he was asked about them after the scrimmage, they were good. They were very good. And then he paused and he said, "Approaching outstanding." Yeah, that, and some of that is coach speak too. That where where he do never I need guys about to play? An, he never talks about an offense like that. He just doesn't. He's never approaching outstanding. Okay, oh, he could be sp- against whom though? I mean, Devin yeah. Lloyd wasn't playing. What, what what were they doing? What kind of stunts and blitzes and whatnot? And what kind of packages? Yep. Uh, that's the great thing about this is that okay, it would be f- more insightful to be there, and mm-hmm. I would get more information. Yep. But. We Coming still, in 12 days, I got all the information I need. Yeah, and we still wouldn't know for sure. I mean, what he said at the very start of the availability today is true, that when you're going against yourself, you don't know if one unit is really good or if they're just good because the other unit's lousy. Yes, and I can remember falling for this uh, several years ago at training camp in Provo, thinking of Jake Heaps, man, that second year, he was just going to be awesome. Because he looked awesome in training camp, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we know not to pile on the young man, uh, but uh, we know it didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to turn out. So, 
I, I think they're going to be fine. I mean, I'm not looking at Arizona's offense and thinking, oh, my gosh, that's keeping me up at night. I'm not looking at Colorado's offense. Really, whose offense on their schedule is you thinking, wow, Why that's do, just an overwhelming offense. What, given problems in the, with a pass rush or the secondary, USC, wide receiver you, that's the first thing you would circle. That's the only one. Uh, Arizona State can make plays in the passing game. Ask Oregon. Okay, I know that receiver's gone. The guy's gone. Ayuk's gone. The running back's <laughs> gone. They don't have a running back on their roster who carried the freaking ball last year. But they've had so many skilled players over the last decade. Even if I can't tell you today who it is, and I can't, I figure oh, they're going to have somebody. <laughs> I figure somebody's going to be well, making yeah, plays. Yeah, and there's truth to that. You're right. You're right. It's not like... Uh, the, I mean, they've had two receivers in the first round the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said for that. And yeah. Darby is a kid who got deep against Oregon. He didn't have the game winner last year against the Ducks like Ayuk. Uh, and he didn't have – he's not in the NFL now like Ayuk yesterday. And, and y'all can speak to this. Didn't he have over 100 yards receiving yesterday? I mean, he's a fine, fine player, no doubt about it. Yeah, he had a big but game yesterday. at the same time – it's it's not like a couple of things I got going for me is I'm I'm not like just worried sick. How, oh my gosh, how are we going to stop these guys? And you don't play them until what the fourth or fifth game. So those dudes that you got that don't have the experience now at that point they'll have the experience. Not saying they're going to win, but it's not like it's impossible. The task is impossible. Uh, going to the strength of the uh, youth schedule. Uh, we got a real interesting tweet, and uh, I want to get to that next. This speaks, okay. This speaks to both the Utes and the Cougars. Great. And we've got uh, Gary Anderson coming up at nine. Even better. DJ and PK. All right. You, she, <laughs> <laughs> You hit the caffeine a little early in the morning, PK. I'm just trying you're to be working, enthusiastic and pump the, you up. He's juiced on a Monday. He's on his he's on his third <laughs> Coke Zero of the morning. He's just like, yeah, let's bring it. All right, three let's Coke have some conversation, people. Do that. I, you know, three I Coke Zeros before nine a.m. Come on, no, no way, zero, zero zeros, like my high school batting average, zero zeros. <laughs> DJ and PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty the zone. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The former Ute, Christian Cox with us. How weird is it for it to be October and you won't play till the 7th of November? Yeah, you know, what a hard thing, especially to be a senior. I think about my own situation, right? Going into my senior year in 2010, I wasn't first team all-conference. I wasn't even on the radar to get a shot to play in the league. And you need those games. The games are what separate you to let you catapult up to the next level. I'm glad to see that there will be some games games, but so hard for those guys. And whether this is too harsh of an opinion, I think the Pac-12 could have played a little sooner. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. And the pitch on the way. Swing, line drive, right center. It's a base hit. Kiermaier around third. He scores the tying run to third base and being waved home and falling down. And now they've got a cup between third and home. The ball gets away. In the score, Rosarena. The Rays have won. That has got to be one of the most unlikely endings to a World Series game in the history of baseball. There's the Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it. Today at 450. 
and you can win fabulous prizes. And PK, remember that time a few years ago when you were driving from Wyoming to the Denver airport, or maybe it was from CSU, to the Denver airport, and you had an hour drive, and you needed someone to help keep you awake, so you it called was, me? It was Laramie, yes. It was Laramie. So yeah. Scotty was driving from Boise to his uh, parents' place in Declo, which is, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours, whatever. <laughs> so guess who had three different phone calls with him? <laughs> You. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And the third one was, uh, because I was calling the RSL game and he was calling the Aggie game, we didn't see the World Series stuff happen live, right? And so I'm catching up on it, and I see the play. And I, we had just, we'd been talking football, and I had just hung up with him, and I called him back, and he laughs. And he goes, yeah, what? I'm like, Scotty, I just saw the play. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You have got to see it. There's like three different things that happen after the swing of the bat, which would have been exciting enough. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, also from uh, this weekend, I got this from a BYU fan. Steven says, DJ and PK, something interesting for you guys to chat about in the morning. I've heard you fans moaning about how BYU's only undefeated because they're playing high school teams. Interestingly enough, when you look at the top six opponents for both teams, per Sagarin's team ratings, the two schedules are very similar. He points out that while uh, Boise's ranked 27th, USC is 23rd, so pretty close to a watch. ASU's 37th, but Houston's 38th. UCLA 64th, but San Diego State's 65th. Oregon State and Navy, 74-78. Arizona, Troy, Louisiana Tech, and Colorado, very similar as well. Now, BYU does get to play four more games that are total gimmies. But his point is, the top six tests are about the same. He says, BYU opponents, 63, Utah, 59. The youths better pray to whatever heathen god they believe in that they run the table, or else all that strength of schedule smack is going to bite them in the ass. <laughs> That's, well, that's a lot of numbers yeah. and four tweets. And I've got to say, he sent the stuff in columns with good margins. Like, Stephen, you worked at this. <laughs> okay. Uh, a couple, and I like to usually take the other side. That's just my nature. Uh-huh. Uh, and obviously it works in sports radio. Uh, we're assuming that some computer spiel is right. Is, yeah. Yep. So that's a, that's one, and and obviously Sagarin's ranking these Pac-12 teams without them having played a single game. You know. Now, having said that, the way they rank them, I think, is kind of the assumptions we look at of how good they may or may not be. I mean, just kind of seat of the pants, you and I, without having some formula, would come up with about the same take that USC is a little better than ASU, and ASU's way better than UCLA, and UCLA isn't very good, but they're probably better than Oregon State, Arizona, and Colorado, you know. So there's that. And then also there's the assumption, you know, do the Utes run the table? BYU has played four of the top six teams on their schedule. They still have Boise State and SDSU left. And uh, the Devils had a four-game losing streak, and uh, (laughs) Oregon had an eight-game, nine-game winning streak. So that's my point is. Oh, last year before they met and, and Arizona State shocked Oregon, yeah. Conference games, I don't care what uh, particular some nerd puts in a computer. Uh, you know these teams, you play these teams, you have rivalries with these teams. I mean, all conference games, to one degree or another, are a rivalry. I mean, there's always a storyline that is fresh when you're playing conference games. And like for, for Arizona, man, someone's got to get it going. 
He's just got to get it going. It's been a disaster, right? And, oh, it was a great hire. And her, my goodness, what did they get? And what retirement home did he get? He doesn't even know their nickname. Oh, they're assistant coaches. And then they all left. They might as well drop down to the big sky. Just switch with NAU. Make it a clean swap. All the stupid stuff. Someone was, oh, yeah. Relegation. I'm for it. Someone, blah, 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 blah. I mean, look what he did wherever he was when he did it. I mean, we have to go back to Houston, really, when he did something that was really something. So my point is that, that BYU doesn't have that. They're not playing conference games. They're playing these Texas teams that nobody knows jack about. So can you put a value on a, a computer ranking when you're in the conference? No, because the computer ranking would have said Oregon would have screamed the Devils last year who were literally on a four-game losing streak and having the opportunity of the season, maybe not opportunity is the right word, but the possibility of the season totally getting away. And sure, they, but, they to, but to make his argument for him, you were the one who were telling us earlier this uh, uh, show, and you were right, that those Ute games were over early and you could write the story and just let Yach plug them in. Because and, they were that good last year. Right, but also because the other teams are that bad. UCLA was bad, Arizona was bad, Colorado was horrific. And also to one of your other favorite points, it depends on when you play them. And when they played Colorado, it was the end of the year, and Colorado knew the story, right? Coach is getting fired. I, not oh, no, last not year. last year. No, that was two years ago. He's getting fired. Last year, they were they were going for bowl eligibility. Yeah, they were two years ago. You two years ago, they had a lot yeah. to play for. Two last years year. ago was the uh, was the debacle. No, I was pumping up Colorado because I thought Tucker had done a tremendous job last year. Your point two years ago was absolutely. Yep. It was the saddest senior day that ever. I've ever been to in twenty plus years of going to senior days. Uh, and yeah, and Shelley just looked like uh, he was Tom Brady and just dominated him. So, uh, you know, I get it. The, the point being that Utah is not exactly playing Murder's a killer right schedule nope. week after week after week after. It's like what Bronco said last year, and I wrote about it saying, oh, we're P5 schedule is way tougher. Not necessarily. We're attaching too much. This is in favor of BYU, attaching too much credence just because it's a P5. The ACC, come on, man. Yeah. Is that really a big-time Power five league? We no. Had, we had Dennis Dodd on. I ran my theory past him. I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago. That the top of the group of five, and not just the one team that goes to the New Year's six, but the top five or ten teams in a group of five, the conference champions, the teams that are you know close to the conference champion, they are certainly as good as the bottom of the power of five. Most of the time, most of those teams are as good or better than even the middle of power five conferences. Now, they may not be able to hang with the top of the power five conferences, but you can look at BYU last year, and that was not a great BYU team. They were seven and six, but they played an 11-win team, 11-win power five team in Utah, and they got beat pretty thoroughly. They can't hang with the top third of the Power Five. But they play three eight and five teams, and they won two out of the three. Power Five teams. And you look at what uh, Boise State does, or what a Central Florida has done, what Houston's done in their big years, and I think that pretty well holds. The top of group of five can definitely handle the bottom of Power Five, and they'll do pretty well against the middle of the Power Five. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. Gary Anderson, Coming up at 9.30. Have we got Keithy? Brent Keithy, Utah tight end. Coming up next. Stay with us.